today on Ag News Daily. And from the beginning, though some people, you know, consider us leaders in this space, and, and I've become somewhat of an expert on the topic over time, very much the beginning, the origins of our role was champions for these leaders. Tuesday, September 27th, Ag News Daily Podcast Edition. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Delaney Howell. Today's message is brought to you by Performance Livestock Analytics, helping you work smarter on your cattle operation. Visit performancelivestockanalytics.com to request your demo. Good morning, Delaney. Good morning, Tanner. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. I uh, just want our listeners to know that Delaney has opened up her house. So if you are in the path of Hurricane Ian, come on up. <laughs> She's got room for refuge. Uh, yeah, thank you. Something like that. <laughs> oh, I figured you would be more than happy to take care of our listeners in time of need. Well, I am. I don't think my house is big enough to host most people. Oh, okay. Well, listen. If you are in the path, this isn't going to be any new news to you, but Hurricane Ian has been upgraded to a Category 3 storm, making landfall on Cuba last night. The rest of Cuba and Florida are now bracing for impact. It strengthened Tuesday into that Category 3 storm and made landfall about 4.30 Eastern time this morning. Uh, has sustained winds of 125 miles per hour and is now headed up towards the central part of the western side of the peninsula of Florida. So uh, Treasure Island residents are being asked to evacuate. The uh, Treasure Island Police Department is limiting traffic in and out of that island. Uh, Illinois Power Company, known as Commonwealth Edison, has already sent Delaney 150 contractors and have a plan for more than 250 more to head down there to help with potential power outages in Florida and in Georgia. Looks like a lot of high schools on that Florida coast around the Fort Myers, Naples area are canceling or postponing, I shouldn't say canceling, postponing football games for JV and varsity towards the end of this week as they brace for impact Mostly looks like sustained winds headed that direction and high levels of rainfall. Uh, category three storm might be upgraded to a category four here before the end of the day Tuesday. But certainly another one for us to watch as some areas may get more than a foot of rainfall. Wow, that's a, that's quite a bit, Tanner. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been a part of a storm where we got a foot of rain. I don't think I have either. I tell you what, speaking of weather, we got yesterday's crop progress report, which is largely a reflection of the type of weather that we've had here over the past week. And we're seeing crop progress, but we're also, of course, more importantly, seeing harvest progress, Tanner. USDA pegged the national corn crop at 12% harvested on corn and 8% harvested on soybeans. This is up on the corn side of things, five percentage points from the previous week, but puts us five percentage points behind last year's pace, which we were about 17% harvested at this time and 14% harvested when you look at the five-year average. On With soybeans, 
Like I mentioned there, we were 8% harvested as of Sunday, up 5 percentage points from the week prior, but 7 percentage points behind last year's 15%, as well as 5 percentage points behind the five-year average of 13%. So all in all, Tanner, things are getting rolling, but just really slow right now. Yeah, I don't know if we would come to expect anything else. We've been behind the five-year average throughout the entire growing season. So you would expect harvest would start a little bit later. But I am noticing, at least here locally in central Iowa, a lot of beans are getting started this week. We've got dry and windy weather to help push those along. Also, it seems like corn samples locally are coming out drier than expected. So it could be an interesting fall as we look forward to what harvest could be. But some issues we may have during harvest is getting grain away from the Midwest as water levels in the Mississippi River are low. They are dangerously low in some areas that may slow or stop barge traffic, just as our corn and soybean harvest continues to kick off. Most of the fall export business for soybeans is at the U.S. Gulf, which it's probably a good thing we can't get anything down there right now with the hurricane headed that way. But if we have persisting low water levels, this can be problematic for shippers to move the newly harvested crop downriver. The USDA noted their weekly grain transportation for the week ended September 17th. That barge movements totaled 209,000 tons. That's 16% more than the previous week. More than 130 grain barges moved down the river, but that was 25 fewer than the prior week. So larger barges and more grain being moved. The demand at the Gulf has been, well, in triple digits, it seems like, for top quality soybean barges all month. So there's an incentive to get things shipped down the river, Delaney. But it looks like right now, if we don't get water levels higher in the Mississippi, that could be a little bit more difficult. Well, Tanner, something else that could be a little difficult this harvest season is late season tar spots, especially here in the state of Iowa. Farmers are encouraged to continue scouting unharvested cornfields for tar spots, even if combines and silage choppers are about to roll. They say it's not too late to spray for foliar disease and are confirming that quite a few tar spot areas have been reported in Iowa and are known to reduce yield standards somewhere around 50 bushels per acre. But the disease can also hurt stock quality and cause lodging. So certainly encouraged to continue to do that here, even this late in the planting, or excuse me, in the harvest season. Yeah, I've uh, seen a couple of articles around that. Let's take a quick moment here to pause for a message from today's episode sponsor. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Coming back from that, Delaney fitting in with the advertiser today, Western Legacy Development Corporation continues to search for a site to build its $1.1 billion beef processing facility after now being rejected by two cities in the Northern Plains. They are rejected most recently by Rapid Rapid City, South Dakota and Cheyenne, Wyoming. They are no longer considering those cities to be in the running for the plant. The Western Legacy Company 
first announced its intentions to build an 8,000 head per day plant on a rapid city proposed site, but the city's industrial center developer said the proposed space was not large enough to accommodate a plant of that size. And last week, the rumors about Cheyenne were cut off as the city's mayor said they could not meet the water demand for a meat plant of that size. So not always is bigger, better, Delaney, but Meeting Place is saying that their president and CEO says this is still a project that is on pace to be started and breaking ground in 2023. They're looking to have operations completed and up and running by 2026. It will be the first of its kind and the first of several, according to Western Legacy's long-term plans. But Delaney, it sounds like First Turtle is finding where the first one is going to go. And you stole that story right out of my mouth. And it's not often we have the same stories, but I have some continued (laughs) beef news here as well. Uh, Through its role with the President's Competition Council, the USDA is now proposing regulations to prevent meat companies from retailing, excuse me, retaliating against livestock and poultry farmers who speak out on practices alleging price fixing, which is I think long overdue, Tanner, that we've finally seen some movement here by USDA as we continue to watch these different price-fixing scandals and allegations come to light. But on Monday, the USDA said that it will work with state attorney general's offices to investigate anti-competitive practices in the ag sector that contribute to inflation and price-fixing. And this move largely aims to increase competition in the consolidated meat sector, nonetheless, Tanner. But the new rule would prohibit meat companies from retaliating against farmers and ranchers who take part in what they're calling lawful communications and whistleblowing on price fixing. They don't, however, really go into detail yet, and maybe they don't have it identified as to what those uh, consequences are and how they prevent retaliation or how they even clarify what retaliation looks like. Well, it's only fair, Delaney, that you took one of my stories right back, but I did find that that was interesting. Of course, another one for us to continue to watch and see how things shake out, but it looks like it's a good first step if we're going to get an issue that maybe exists corrected. Last piece I have for today states that we are beginning to see a shortage of certain grocery products stemming all the way back to uh, examples of coronavirus supply chain issues, as well as delivery to the store. So it looks like some of the top goods that are going to become harder to come by with leading the list is beer. Obviously, we are looking at carbon dioxide shortage, which could affect beer and sodas. But some of the issues is from the hops delivery and getting those sourced. Ketchup is on the chopping block, not because consumer demand, but because of severe drought in California. Looks like the tomato crop is much less than it has been. Baby formula we've heard about. I didn't realize sriracha was going to become more difficult to find, and that is due to a shortage of chili peppers coming out of Mexico. Uh, also bread, of course, that's tied to wheat exports coming due to the issues in Russia and Ukraine. Turkey, we talked about Delaney. Of course, that is in relation to the bird flu that we continue to look across. But mustard was on the list due to shipments coming out of Europe. Peaches, again, out of a uh, early spring frost. 
and cold snaps that we reported on. I had forgotten about those, Delaney, but it certainly doesn't seem like these products are going to get caught up anytime soon. So if any of those I just listed are on your shopping list, you might want to stock up. Well, Tanner, I have just one final story here before we chat markets, and that is China is deferring fee payments for state firms. They will postpone fee payments worth more than 53 billion yuan or about 7.3, billion U.S. dollars by companies, mainly small firms in the fourth quarter. This is according to state media quoted and China said that they're going to provide some tax relief to these individual commercial pensions, but don't have really a good confirmation as to why they can't afford to pay these fees or why they are postponing them in the first place. But uh, some analysts are suggesting it's a clear sign of economic pullback in China. Yeah, that's not good news. Before you get into the markets, let's pause one more time for a message from today's episode sponsor. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time, accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends, all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, Delaney, it looked like first glance this morning, we had a good overnight. What are you seeing? Well, Tanner, I uh, think we are certainly seeing a little bit better trade action in the overnight than we certainly did yesterday. But of course, we are recording just before market open here on Tuesday morning. But in the overnights, new crop corn ended eight cents higher at 674. New crop soybeans up 15 and a half cents in the overnight at 1427. And Chicago December wheat added about 19 and a half cents at 877 is where things will be opening at there in grains. In livestock, they traded lower in the overnight as the December live cattle contract is down a buck 20 in the overnight at 147. November feeders down a buck 20 at 177 and December lean hogs were down $3.40 in the overnight at 79.40. So Tanner, that is where we will be heading here into the opening session, but we're heading into a conversation with Finian Makepeace, who is the co-founder and policy director at Kiss the Ground. Listeners, we're excited to introduce you all to Mr. Finian Makepeace of Kiss the Ground. Quite a few titles he has at the company and a bunch of great things that he's doing. So, Finian, thank you for joining us. And why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Let them know what you do. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Finian Makepeace. I'm the co-founder and policy director of Kiss the Ground, as well as a producer of Kiss the Ground, the movie. Great. We are so excited to talk about all of these things but before we jump into all of the little details, tell us a little bit about Kiss the Ground, what it is, and what y'all are working towards. Great. Uh, Kiss the Ground is a nonprofit uh, that started almost 10 years ago, really came about because my friend Rylan and I both had profound aha moments, thought we knew what there was to know about uh, helping the world, and we didn't know about soil and we realized after we had the aha moment of the, the power, the opportunity that rebuilding healthy soil can provide for so many things for humanity, the environment, et cetera. 
we realize that a lot of other people don't know it. And so our mission at Kiss the Ground is awakening people to the possibilities of regeneration, which is what we were awakened to almost 10 years ago. And, and that really includes many things. We have, uh, four major programs, a media program that helps get the awareness out there, a stewardship program that helps uh, educate people uh, around the world on how to be advocates for this message. We have a farmland program that helps farmers and ranchers get access to the best education that can help them uh, move forward in regenerative agriculture. And then finally, we have a policy program that really looks uh, at federal policy right now. And I'll talk more about it in a little bit, but we're really heading uh, toward the farm bill in a campaign called Regenerate America that's helping ensure that the next farm bill robustly supports regenerative agriculture and soil health. Um, so the organization really is uh, a champion organization. We champion the leaders uh, and those that have been at the forefront of this movement to try to make this more accessible. A lot of folks know us uh, from our film, Kiss the Ground. This was a film that took us nearly seven years to make with the folks at Big Picture Ranch, and that was released in 2020. Uh, around the world has over 10 million views on Netflix and has really helped um, move this conversation forward, which is exactly what our organization has been trying to do, trying to do, make sure more people have access to this idea of regenerative ag and its opportunity. Now, I'm sure, Finian, we're, we will come back to talking more about the new campaign that launched recently. But I want to go back here for a moment and talk about that aha moment that you had. I'm curious, what was that moment? How did it come to be? Great question. A couple things for me. Uh, I had kind of a setup, um, a few. So I grew up in upstate New York. Um, and in my 12th grade year of high school, got to help Cornell University uh, graduate students do a study that they found out how uh, oak groves that were, you know, a mile or two apart were, were actually sending signals underground through mycorrhizal fungi to protect and say, hey, get ready for this airborne virus that's headed your way. Uh, I was out collecting soil samples, but uh, my biology class, we were with the PhD students who were, who were doing that study. Uh, then, you know, fast forward many years, being an environmental activist for my whole life, um, I had the honor, honor of, of listening to Graham Sate, uh, who's a soil ag, uh, regenerative ag expert from uh, New Zealand and Australia. Uh, my friend Ryland saw him in New Zealand and was blown away and then convinced him to come to LA to speak to us. And so a four hour lecture, it was laid out that when we look at humanity and whether we're going to make it or not, a lot of the conversation is how do we limit? How do we reduce our, our greenhouse gases? How do we do less harm? But in essence, when you really, when I really analyzed it, when I was in my late eight twenties, I was saying, wait a minute. Everything is just going off the cliff slower. There's nothing that's really coming with these solutions that's actually reversing the damage that we've caused and protecting us from floods and droughts and uh, catastrophic events. But this solution, when we talked about soil, rebuilding healthy soil, taking the carbon that's currently causing a problem in our atmosphere, using it, pumping it via plants into the soil to feed microbes who build healthy soil and therefore build carbon into the soil. This was like, wait, we can build spongy, resilient, healthy, productive soil while sequestering massive amounts of carbon, building back biodiversity, recharging aquifers and springs by helping the, the small water cycles get fixed. 
all of these things came about and Graham Sate was just an eloquent speaker and just laid it all out there because I had pretty deep knowledge of, of a lot of the science and biology that he was re- referencing. So many light bulbs really went off, but the big one was we can do this. Humanity actually can help and needs to be uh, part of the solution um, via our agriculture changing to agriculture that actually rebuilds soil versus agriculture that degrades and, and deplenishes soil at the rate we are right now in the U S for example, on ag land, we're currently losing 5.6 tons of topsoil per acre per year. Regenerative agriculture reverses that while simultaneously healing the function of the landscape, bringing back biodiversity, bringing back watershed function, et cetera. So it was one of those moments. And that very day, we went back to my friend Ryland's house uh, to kind of meet up after the this this long lecture. And we said, if this is all true, we have to dedicate our lives to getting the message out on this because there isn't something more important uh, ever. And we literally shook hands to say, yeah, if this is true, we're going to dedicate our lives to get the word out. And then we met every every single Monday uh, until Kiss the Ground was officially formed as a nonprofit about a year later. Uh, but we just said, OK, we got to figure out what to do here. And a lot of it came down to helping get the word out in the beginning. That's fantastic. And I love hearing the story behind such a great organization. And I think one of the best things that stuck out to me about Kiss the Ground is that even though you're advocating for the environment, you're not pushing agriculturalist farmers and ranchers away. How are they involved in the initiatives that you're doing? It's a great question. Um, I think it all comes from where we started from. We were very clear in the beginning that we weren't the farmers and ranchers leading this. We weren't the experts in this. We weren't the scientists, but we could be the champions. And from the beginning, though some people, you know, consider us leaders in this space and, and I've become somewhat of an expert on the topic over time, very much the beginning, the origins of our role was champions for these leaders. And that means the people who are doing this, the, the, the real people at the front of this are, are the ones who are actually transitioning their land and transitioning others. So some of the most reliable advisors we've had are the people who are not only managing their own property and have insanely incredible results of regeneration uh, proven, shown to be economically viable and also have these profound ecological results. They're also crisscrossing this nation and sometimes the world to train others and have profound results for them. So we're just honored and have always been honored to have these incredible people who we work with, some of which you, you know, might have seen in Kiss the Ground, the movie, uh, like Ray Archuleta, Gabe Brown, but so many others that we have this amazing connection with who've been the source of how and why we're doing this work, and they've been the proof. So we very much source everything and run almost everything we're doing through these experts and and act as a big sound box for them to make sure this message reaches a broader audience and becomes common lexicon for the world. So Finian, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, this new campaign that you guys are launching, which is largely policy focused, but also taking on quite a few different facets. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, thanks. The campaign is called Regenerate America. Soil is our common ground is the tagline. After the success of the film, we saw new doors opening. One great example is someone like the, the current chairman of the House Ag Committee watching Kiss the Ground the film and being profoundly moved. Uh, actually, last week during a hearing, 
that we just had on Regenerative Ag that he hosted, and we had one of our Farmer Leadership Council members from Regenerate America testifying. He actually said, Kiss the Ground, the movie, helped him see things that he was only dimly aware of before when it came to agriculture and really, you know, gave him uh, a lot of excitement and inspiration that this regenerative thing is is something that he needs to push forth and have a part of of his legacy and so many others. Uh, But this campaign really came from new doors are opening. It's not just businesses and and, uh, activists and farmers who are on the front ends of this. More and more people now understand this. They're having the aha moment. And the film's release really did uh, make that available. And so what we saw was, okay, wait, what if Kiss the Ground does what we do in a bigger way, connecting people to this, spreading the awareness, and simultaneously connect with the leaders who've been in D.C. leading on soil health, the farmers who've been leading this movement uh, from the get-go, as well as allowing for more people to get involved in this movement. And so we said, at the end of the day, if ag is going to change in the United States, we got to start from our own home country here. The only, the biggest thing that has to actually change is the farm bill because it's so uh, massively a part of what dictates subsidies and what's being subsidized in farming. And if we don't change that in the slightest, we're not going to be able to just rely on consumer demand or companies changing a few percentages of them, we really have to see the the lion's share of where funding's going start to head towards soil health and make some big progress in this next farm bill. So this campaign was saying we can take this momentum, we can uh, encourage and allow for others to get more involved, we can continue the awareness spreading mechanism that we're good at, add that to the policy world that doesn't usually include much of that, and then simultaneously bring the voices of farmers and ranchers who are leading this to DC uh, that will allow them to have a voice, uh, hopefully that matches that of agribusiness and others who've been uh, dictating much of past farm bills. Um, so this is a common ground campaign. One of the things that's really important for us for this campaign is that it mimics very much the leadership that we see uh, in regenerative ag. In the regenerative ag movement, you don't hear a lot of people asking what political affiliations you are, but you you kind of figure things out here and there. And when we all lay the cards on the table here, this movement is incredibly diverse in terms of who's leading it and what their political affiliation is. And we're saying if this movement in the U.S. is so bipartisan, we should also ensure that this can be a bipartisan effort uh, in the next farm bill and really see the joint win uh, that, that both Republicans and Democrats can see for themselves and their constituents uh, here. So we've been really working that uh, to make sure that that's available. And Finian, with all of these big goals and the campaign that y'all are working so hard on, what is the main goal that you want to see come out of this? I know you're working to get different things put into the farm bill, but what is y'all's main goal in the next, say, five years? That's a great question. Um, at the end of the day, I think the one of the biggest goals is starting to see a positive change when you go to Google Earth and look at this country. Um, currently, we're not just losing topsoil, but we're we're letting land go towards extreme desertification, especially in more arid and brittle regions of this country. Um, we're we're losing covered ground and covered ground is the only way that we build soil back via plants pumping carbon into the ground. 
So um, we need to start seeing more of this this country covered in living plants throughout the year. That is uh, probably in the, the best marker, uh, you know, different than measuring how much carbon was sequestered, a far better, easier measurement to see how much ground, even in rangeland, for example, of, you know, a lot of the rangeland you drive past and see looks lush. But if you look at the bird's eye view, it's patchy. And, and oftentimes it's, you know, 30 percent covered ground. And if that turns from 30 to 90 percent covered ground, you've change the function of that ecosystem. You've changed the small water cycle. You've allowed for, you know, in many cases, a transition to a regenerative method in two or three years, you go from a half an inch of infiltration per hour of rainwater to uh, uh, 20 um, inches of rain per hour. Uh, that's the kind of result that changes things, changes life for the farmers, changes the economics for farmers, changes the the rivers that are running dry changes the biodiversity, everything. So we're really looking at that type of thing. Five years from now, we really hope to see that we'll start to see the difference that regenerative ag is playing in terms of what you see from space. Well, Finian, we certainly appreciate your time today. We've been talking a lot about Kiss the Ground in this project and documentary that you guys put together. If our listeners want to check out any of those resources or information, how's the best way to find you? Yeah, of course. Watch Kiss the Ground on Netflix. Share it with your friends. Uh, we are at kisstheground.com. Uh, we have regenerateamerica.com as well uh, for the campaign. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, connect with us. We We are really here to help folks from farmers to um, advocates to students to be able to message this and help participate. And I just want to say as someone who did not come from this space whatsoever, uh, if you are passionate about this topic and want to get involved, the world needs your voice and you can be a, a very big help and a contributor to moving this forward. Uh, so our soil advocate training is starting this week, a live cohort. Uh, it's available all the time online, but People can take that course and we have thousands of farmers who've taken that course, who've helped them talk about it to their clients and be able to talk about the difference of what they're doing or students be able to say, you know, the climate change solution is more than just reducing emissions. We actually have to build back the function of our land. So we provide so many of the talking points, so many of the, the graphics and things that allow for people to become empowered advocates. So that's something that anyone can do after they watch the film or get more involved in this movement. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Finney, and we appreciate your time. Oh, and, and sign up for regenerateamerica.com. That's where you can participate directly in this campaign. Well, again, a big thank you there to Finney. And I know he's a little bit maybe less Tech Tuesday focused Tanner than what we typically have on for these conversations, but they're doing some interesting things over there at Kiss the Ground and certainly interesting to hear about their recent time in Congress. But we're going to be having more conversations about people who recently had time to speak in the hot seat, so to say. Yeah, I think that's good to have those in agriculture having their message heard is certainly to those that make policy, but uh, another great interview, another great episode. Remember as harvest kicks off, don't be afraid to tag us on social media with your harvest pictures. We love seeing those and seeing the progress as well as maybe we'll have some conversations from the field to keep everybody else updated. But what do you say Delaney for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.